Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, my uh, my next door neighbor is uh, practicing guitar, I think, right now. So I'm hoping that that's not making it into the recording. But if it is, I'm sorry that somebody's practicing guitar uh, very quietly in the background. No stairway. Denied. That's so weird. Like, I guess when you're in California, you get to have an apartment beneath a tree on a college campus. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the only place anyone practices a guitar, in my experience. (laughs) I think my next-door neighbor is a professional musician, and I believe she is known to our mutual friend John Roderick. Oh, no! (gasps) If it gives you any idea of what Seattle is like culturally at the moment... uh, Musicians from Seattle are moving to Los Angeles. <laughs> Not something that many would have predicted 10 years ago, I think. Adam, do you have any interest in uh, getting some of your frustration out via the method of going to war? It's basically the only way I can feel anything anymore, Ben. <laughs> I would love Get those to. cards out, buddy. All right. They're out. We're at war. There's been no formal declaration of war. Maybe this trip will bring us some luck. That nonsense is centuries behind us. War! Go to war! Just for first-timers, I feel like we don't do enough to tell first-timers what is going on on our show. We should be more welcoming to first-timers. First-timers joining the show every week. They're tweeting at us. Sending us emails with questions about where all of our bits come from. Yeah. More bits than show, really, is is the sort of podcast we're doing. There is a Greatest Gen wiki out there with all of the bits taken apart in great detail. And it's a, it's like a, a resource that really blows me away because I look at it sometimes and I go like, Oh my God, what have we done? It really helps me understand my own show in a way that I wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. But Card War is a is a game that we play from time to time. That um, the basic uh, the basic premise of which is we're using these uh, Star Trek uh, collectible card game cards and making our own Vegas like uh, gambling game out of it. And uh, it's best of three or best of four, depending on whatever we decide in the moment. <laughs> That's right. Our scoring system is purely subjective. We have a quick debate over which card is best, and then we move on to the next. Are you yeah. ready, Ben, for the first card? I am ready. Three, two, one, flip. Ben, my card is a dilemma card. It is Cosmic String Fragment. <laughs> A long space object, as thin as a proton, but with the gravitational attraction of a hundred stars. Thin as a proton was my high school nickname. (laughs) You don't want to get called thin as a proton in gym class. Yeah, you walked out of that locker room a a different person. It's one of the reasons I didn't want to shower with with the rest (laughs) of the class. Uh, It says at the bottom, ship is sucked in and destroyed unless astrophysics or engineer or navigation aboard. I have no idea what card I flipped over here, man. It's upside down on both sides. What? It says exobiology plus strength greater than 35, and that's facing both directions, so that I guess if you're sitting across the table from somebody, they can read it also. And then it says gamma arigulon 2, trace radiation anomalies reported at this location. I was flipping back through uh, the cards that I've already opened for war, looking for bi-directional cards, and I found one. It was Repair Mission. (laughs) Uh, Yours is a little more inscrutable than this. Yeah. I would say that maybe if we don't understand it, it would lose to Cosmic String Fragment. I think Cosmic String Fragment is the the thing that put... Deanna Troy in charge of the ship, so I think that's a win on for you. How destructive is that? Yeah, I'm inclined <laughs> to agree. You want to flip another one? Yeah, let's do it. Three, two, one. Uh, mine uh, is Tybok, 
a Romulan scientist who developed a mind control device using E-band emissions, controlled Lieutenant Commander Jordi LaForge through his visor. Uh, Tybok is weighing in with an integrity of two, a cunning of eight, and a strength of eight. He also has treachery, biology, and computer skill. <laughs> Ooh. What I have is Batrell, Klingon trained as an officer for the Klingon Defense Force, formerly in command of Narendra 3 outpost. Narendra 3 was the outpost, uh, famously, that the Enterprise-C was defending, right? Oh. Before, before they went into the space butthole. Yeah. But I don't remember Betrell being a part of that. No. Oh, wait, was Betrell one of the peeps in that weird Romulan camp? Narendra 3 had survivors, and then they went to go live on that camp that the Romulans took over, and then Worf went there and taught them how to use garden tools, right? Was that is that all the same story? I thought that those were survivors of Kittimer, a different treacherous Romulan attack. Save your fucking letters, guys. All right. <laughs> you know, there's so many Klingon prisoners of war these days, yeah. man. It's, it's hard to keep them all straight. I think I like your card, bottom line. Yeah, I'd say it's a one-to-one. Yeah. It's anybody's game. Yeah. As we go to round three, Ben, three, two, one. My card is an event, and it's a big one. It's the Federation Klingon Treaty. This card plays on the table, Ben. Your Federation and Klingon affiliations recognize this treaty. They can now mix and cooperate. (laughs) So this is a very uh, post-discovery card. Yeah, Terran Empire would hate this idea. Yeah. Oh, that'd be bad news bears for them. Mm-hmm. Um, my card is a Romulan outpost. It's Romulus, one of the two homeworlds for the Romulans. The Romulan Star Empire establishes outposts throughout its territory. Well, it's always a chess game when the Romulans are involved, Ben. And I would say <laughs> over the long term, an alliance between the Federation and the Klingons versus the Romulans is often uh, sort of a stalemate, wouldn't you say? I think I think that's a great way to look at it. Uh, And that's uh, sort of making me want to flip over a fourth card. Let's go ahead and do that then. Okay. Three, two, one, flip. I have an event. Espionage. Klingon on Federation. Klingon espionage against the Federation has included data stolen from Relay Station 47 by Morag. My card is one of uh, those bi-directionals. It's fever emergency. Ben, do you think think if, if the players using your card get the fever that they wouldn't be able to use that card for their espionage? Yeah, I think that there may be some compromising effects in this fever. No, could be tough. What do you say, Adam? Do you got a, a case to make? Well, I mean, they seem like they're very different cards, very different yeah. problems. Yeah, it's a bit of an apples to oranges issue. Do we need to flip one more? Let's keep going until we have a very clear winner, is what I say. Okay. Three, two, one. Uh, I think you might have me here, Ben. I have the lowly engineering kit. Representative (laughs) of specialized engineering instruments, such equipment has been developed by many races. It is equipment, Ben. Oh. Can you be equipment? Mine is uh, an interrupt card, and it's a shot of the entrepreneur flying into an asteroid in that uh, that episode where they develop the cloaking shield that they can also pass through solid matter. Uh, and it says, Asteroid Sanctuary. <laughs> Hoping to avoid detection by a Romulan warbird, the USS Enterprise entered a giant asteroid cavern in 2370. Was that the thing that Wesley Crusher broke on that one planet, the asteroid sanctuary. (laughs) Yeah, they wanted to kill him over that. Yeah, gotta be careful stomping around in the sanctuary. I think you got me there, Ben. Anything of the scale of a starship in an asteroid, I think, would take down the lowly engineering kit. So That crushes a kit. Yeah, I think you got me. Good game, Ben. Good game, Adam. Well, one episode that is most certainly not messing around with frivolous things is uh, is maybe the most serious of season one Deep Space Nine episodes. It's episode 18, and it's called Duet. Do you realize how incredible this is? 
No, of course you don't. I mean, this episode does start a little light. Like, it's uh, Kira and Dax just, like, they're kind of, like, having a conversation that is happening, like, in the midst of them doing some work. The thing you talk about first is who would you fuck on the station, and they already did that on a runabout a couple episodes ago, right? Now they're getting into other matters. They they played FMK in, like, episode (laughs) three. (laughs) I feel like very often when I first meet a person... I go right for the edges of the envelope conversationally to figure out, mm-hmm. you know, where I stand with someone. If we can, if we can play the game with the jokes sure. and stuff. <laughs> Ferocious, aren't I? And I think this is very good friendship making by Kira and Dax to begin with a Mornhammer conversation, <laughs> and then maybe backfill those opinions with some of the lighter stuff that doesn't really matter as much. You want to know where someone stands on that. Fuck, Mary kill, Adam. Quark, Odo, Morn. Fuck, Mary kill, Quark, Odo, Morn. I feel like the Mary is often the easiest choice for many of these. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'm probably going to marry Morn because he's quiet. <laughs> you know, like like no matter what, he, he's going to be like the ceiling on uh, how annoying he is, is, is going to be fairly low. Right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry Morn. Also a great lover. I don't think there's any question about that. Dude has a rep. I think fuck... Fuck has got to be Odo, right? You're never going to get a fuck like that. that he, he's going to fill you up. <laughs> or conver- or conversely, like, like you're going to yeah. wear him like you've never worn anything before. Yeah. And I guess uh, I guess by, by virtue of elimination, we're going to kill Quark. No Sorry, need for Quark. him anymore. Peace out. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I might uh, switch Morn and Quark with you. Yeah. I would fuck Odo, but I think I might marry Quark because I just feel like he's going to, you know, he's he's greedy enough that he's going to set me up in the long term. That's true. You're going to have a real nice house. You're going to have a, a lot of fun to be had, a lot of fun and adventure. Yeah. You're going to be very different from Morn, who just wants to sit at home and drink. And and if Quark is, like, not in the mood for it one night, there's, like, five hollow suites available at all times. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's an element of escapism here. Does uh, hey. does Hollow Sweet count as adultery, <laughs> or like not if it's only consensual Hollow Sweet? Right. Yeah, I, sort of, I suppose uh, that that's really the measure of a man episode that we never get in Deep Space Nine. Is like somebody like O'Brien accused of banging. Another woman, but the other woman was a hologram. This show goes so many places in terms of characters' morality, but I can't remember it ever going there, which means that the matter must have been settled far before this show was ever made, right? The social contract of hollow sweet bangs is understood by everyone, but I guess we don't really get to see the consequences of that. <laughs> Yeah, this this uh, primetime television show didn't get into the, like, seedy sexual ethics of, of Deep Space Nine as much as it could have. Yeah, but, I mean, you when you march Quark around with, like, two Dabo babes showing, like, three quarters under boob each, <laughs> like, it's... I think they could go there. They just didn't. Yeah. They would rather retell a viral infection story four times in a season than than tread on any new ground, I guess. Yeah. Well, maybe if uh, Star Trek Discovery winds up being the anthology show that it was hinted to be early on, they'll hire us for a season two set in the 24th century and we can write that episode. (laughs) Boy, I really hope so. uh, It'd be nice. (laughs) I'm hoping friend of the podcast, Mary Wiseman, can uh, make the proper introductions. Put in the good word. (laughs) (laughs) Adam, uh, they get hailed by a freighter, and it's one of those guys that is related to Ferengis. This is the Coberian freighter Rack Munis requesting permission to dock. They've got like a fin on their head instead of giant ears, and uh, he says they've got a sick puppy on board, and they need to 
beam one of their passengers directly to Six Bay, got a disease called Kalinora. And uh, the only person on the entire station that has apparently heard of this disease is Kira, because it is extremely rare and only known to have been contracted by victims of a an accident at like a forced labor camp that the Cardassians operated during the occupation. Survivors of Galatep have always been a symbol to us of strength and courage. Nuna Visitor's uh, reaction to this is pretty epic. Like they do a quick around the horn, like, Kalinora, what is that? And Cisco's like, hmm, that sounds interesting. And Kira's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> she's She's initially like, very concerned for this person because she assumes it's going to be one of the Bajorans who was essentially enslaved there. And she she was part of liberating the camp. So she has really strong emotional connection to this uh, event. This is a part of her character that they sort of tease. Like she was on the forces that cleaned up the mess after the war but in this episode, you really get a lot of detail into what exactly her job was and what exactly she saw and and what her damage is because of it. Yeah. My emotional connection to Kala Nora is that the two popular girls at my high school were Kayla and Nora. <laughs> my only association with Kala Nora was, uh, was that I had to... You ever get, a, you ever get chicken pox, Ben? You have to put that Calamora, Kalinora lotion... <laughs> on your, on your, uh, on your pox. Mm, yeah, so I, you wouldn't I got scar. A, I got poison oak one time, and I think that's what I used. Yeah, pink stuff. <laughs> yeah, don't confuse it with Pepto Bismol. That's Kalinora. Makara <laughs> <laughs> um, goes down to Six Bay, and Bashir, like, like they do the the reveal where Bashir is like is like wrenching on somebody's head and then he steps away and it is not a Bajoran, but a Cardassian. Kira to Odo. Go ahead. I'm in the infirmary. I need security here on the double. I'm on my way, Major. This is a pretty bad moment for Kira. Yeah. It's like you uh, show up for dinner expecting a hamburger and it's like steamed vegetables. <laughs> Disappointing, you know? You got your switch flip for... For one thing, and it's something else entirely. The reveal also revealed something else to me, Ben, it, is that it's Harris Yulin. One yeah. Of the, one of the great that guys in yeah. TV and film. You might know him, Ben, as uh, the guy who plays National Security Advisor Cutter from Clear and Present Danger. Cutter couldn't tie his shoes without permission. Yeah. He's also He's, uh, uh, the judge in Ghostbusters 2 in that opening scene. <laughs> Yeah, he's been in a million things. He is great. He's like one of those Gravitas guys. Yeah, he was on 24 for that reason. Right. For for all of the for all of the like white powerful man Gravitas that he has. You know how my voice is real like thin and reedy like an oboe? You've noticed that, right? I've uh, <laughs> suffered through 190 something episodes of that Adam. <laughs> God, I I just wish more than anything that as I age, I, I get some Harris Yulin voice. Get get down into that Harris Yulin register? Yeah. <laughs> God. Like, what is it going to take? Is it going to take, like, me screaming into a pillow for, like, years at a time to, like, yeah. fracture my vocal cords? It's just back and forth from, like, big fat pull on cigar to <laughs> ex- exhaling by screaming into pillow and back. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get the Cubans at him. I know. Gotta get They're the good smooth, stuff. but they will change your voice over time. Yeah. It's all that nicotine going in there and, and killing cells in your vocal cords. The one thing you want to do is inhale cigar smoke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pro cigar smokers will tell you. Kira turns to Dr. Bashir and she's like, hey, guess what, buddy? Your patient is a war criminal. And... Uh, and uh, this Cartassian does maybe the lamest escape attempt in TV history. <laughs> like, if you ever get me on a on like a gym basketball court, like this is the sort of head fake that this Cardassian does. Very, yeah. And then he sort of loses the basketball down the promenade and chases after it. <laughs> 
He doesn't even like knock over a pitcher or a, or a table or anything to cause a distraction. You gotta flip over a table so that the guys have to jump over it behind you. If this is a if this was a performance choice that Harris Eulen <laughs> made, then he's gone down several notches in my in my book. You're never gonna make the in memoriam reel at the Oscars with this sort of performance, Harris. Get it yeah, together. The, the slow lethargic jog. <laughs> Where you don't even look out the door that you're busting out of to see if there are four security guys coming your way. He's like the reverse Pepe Le Pew. Like, he, he's out front, but he's slow. Odo uh, is is uh, quite happy to take Kira's initial order to toss this guy in the brig. And uh, she tells the doctor to, like, continue treating him in there. It's just, you know, like, this is... An arrest without cause at this point, as far as everybody knows. But uh, apparently that's okay here on Space Station Deep Space Nine. A lot of this season has been about, like a lot of cold opens even, have been about Kira Norris's feelings about things. And then it's yeah. up to the crew to sort of either uh, help her out to those ends or to fight her on it. And fairly early on, Cisco is of the innocent until proven guilty variety of person uh, carrying the water for the Federation. And Kira is like so sure that this guy is a war criminal because he's got that Galatep cough that is <laughs> that is the sign of war criminals who have worked at this forced labor camp that she liberated. The Galatep cough has been unfairly maligned. <laughs> it is the only way to stay thin and sexy in your old age. I have the Galatep cough myself, and yet I still smoke the cigarettes. <laughs> How could I be smoking like this if the Galatep cough is so bad, Major Kira? <laughs> Uh, sir, you can't smoke in a movie theater. Get your hands off of me! <laughs> what is wrong with you? I will smoke wherever I want. Is it not a free country? <laughs> I, I really like the scene where um, Kira and Cisco are in Odo's office, like, discussing why she had this guy locked up. I'm charging him with having contracted Kalinora. Partly because it is like, it really firmly establishes where the lines of tension are going to be in this episode. Do you want to explain that to me? But partly because I feel like this is establishing some new stuff about this space. and Or, or maybe I just never noticed it, but they're close enough to the walls in Odo's office that you can see that some of the screens have like galaxy's most wanted posters on them right yeah i I really want to i really wanted the camera to rack so that i could get an in-focus shot of some of those because they look hilarious and i would love to see what those were because yeah if only we had an hd transfer we could punch in a little bit yeah you know when you're in the art department and you've got some like fine text to put in soft focus in the background of a shot, you can have a lot of fun with that. And like, there were definitely a couple times in TNG where we could like pause a computer screen that was supposed to just whiz by, right, and and see what they had written on it. And it was always fun. Yeah, there's always an Easter egg buried in there somewhere. Yeah, you're right about the tension visited upon Cisco because he is getting pulled in a lot of different directions. There's curious motivation toward prosecuting a crime that she sees that's been personified by by Harris Yulin's character, Cardassian character. And then there's also the tension, like he's being forced to play the middle between the Bajoran government, who obviously wants to prosecute and punish a war criminal. There's also the Cardassians who want this guy back. There's also the Irish who want his first name and the Italians who want his last name. Cisco's pretty cool-headed about this. He sort of wants to put Odo on the case because Kira's too close. Yeah, and I think that that's the way that Cisco is trying to play this, trying to just be dispassionate about it. Yeah. Trying to hear everybody out. Like the Bajoran, you know, minister of state or something calls him up and is like, is pretty adamant that if this guy has this disease, then he was at the camp and therefore is a bad dude. And the... You know, we get some some fun like back and forth FaceTimes with Gul Dukat in this episode where right. you know, he's he's saying this is 
you know, you can't just arrest somebody because they're Cardassian and have a sickness. Like, you don't have anything to accuse this guy of, so why don't you let him go? All Cardassians look like they have really long necks, but Dukat looks like he just has a fucking giraffe neck. He really does. Guy's got an amazing neck. Real Merton Hanks of Cardassia. (laughs) (laughs) I also appreciated that wherever Gold Dukat is, is clearly art directed even though it's yeah. like all, always on a small screen and not in focus it's not the flat wall with like one logo on it that we would get for Romulan Bridge so yeah. often yeah. in TNG there's like there's like color and depth in this shot it's cool it took a really long time for TNG to get here but it is noticeable right now in season one just how few people Cisco has to talk to about either personal or mission problems. Right. I feel like if this were a uh, a third season TNG episode, the McLaughlin group Issue one. would break up, people would leave, and then Riker and Picard would discuss, you know, what a sticky wicket this one's going to be, you know, before going on with the rest of the episode. You really totally. only have Cisco's words uh, in a professional conversation to glean where he's at here. And furthermore, I think that the kind of political arrangement of Starfleet administering Deep Space Nine has been left vague enough that it's not really clear what the rules are. Yeah. He's being told by the the Bajoran government guy, hey, you gotta you gotta keep this guy, we're gonna put a war crimes tribunal together. And he is saying, you know, we have a we have a different like approach to justice in the Federation and uh and that's like where my loyalties lie. It's like, is it or, or like is I I just don't understand like how much this is a Starfleet thing and how much it's a Bajoran thing. Where does the buck stop? What's the what's the ultimate authority on this issue? It's like anything else. Uh when a clear hierarchy has not been established, it breeds all sorts of conflict. And this happens over and over again on this show in the first season yeah. especially. I mean, I think that this episode could have been used to flesh some of that out and have some very specific choices made, and I feel like it it stays squishy and ill-defined. Right. So this guy uh, says his name is Eamon Maritza, and through the interrogation that Kira gives him in the brig, uh, he cops to the idea that that he's a file clerk. He's not the bad guy that people are making him out to be. There's no way that he could have been in charge of a prison camp and killed all those people he was just following orders he got the wrong guy it wasn't me it was the one-armed man you know he he has this real like you know acts like this is persecution and it's not really fair that they've locked him up persecuting Cardassians goes far beyond your job major it's your passion every time somebody comes down he wants to be he wants to be released he, he feels like uh you know he has a right to uh, to do what he is doing, which is just traveling through. And uh, he even expresses some admiration for uh, Gold Darheel, the Cardassian uh, that ran the camp that he worked at. Sure. I guess uh, Gold Darheel went, uh, went to college in North Carolina. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> This must have been before the war. Yeah. <laughs> this is such a Kira episode, Adam. There is no, there's almost no Quark, almost no O'Brien. It is like Kira doing some stuff and Odo and Cisco and to a very greater, lesser extent, Dax interacting with it. It's a bottle episode, but there's also no B or C story. It is all A, which I thought made it kind of an outlier for what we've seen really in... In the entire series, like all the Star Trek series that we've watched, there's usually a subplot, but there right. is none here. There's none, and and it's especially in this season, it has been it has felt sometimes like oh, there is a C storyline because the A and B are too weak to right. support themselves under their own 
structure. So let's like get Jake and Nog stealing popsicles as a as a thing also. Sure. Throughout the episode, Maritza has the charisma of an evil man. A man who has sort of made peace with the circumstances. There's something about uh, the charisma of evil and how it's portrayed here that I found was like really fascinating. Yeah, he monologues like an arch villain. We're professional bad guys. Ding. Hello. Yes, please. Belittle me in front of my henchmen. In a fucked up way, it takes charisma to do bad things. Yeah, I think so. And to get people to follow you into those bad things. It's kind of the opposite of the banality of evil. Like it's the the part that like convinces, you know, people to to follow as we as we like start a project that is terrible. Right. Right. I mean, this guy, you know, for for all all they can tell is telling the truth. He's a file clerk, but Kira really doesn't. She like her gut is telling her, and his his disposition is telling her that he's something much worse than that and she confesses at some point i think to dax that she wants him to be worse than that she wants him to be like the embodiment of cardassian impropriety so that she can personally punish him you know if kira and cisco are supposed to be equals on the station representing their sides in this episode at least kira is given friends and foils to converse with about her situation, Dax being one of them, Dax yeah. really gives her some good counseling about, like... You already know if you punish him without reason, it won't mean anything. And you already know vengeance isn't enough. And Odo... Uh, Mr. Bucket? <laughs> more or less does the same thing with her when, uh, when he gives her the blue raspberry lemonade Kool-Aid of... <laughs> Discovering your prisoner has done genocide. Perhaps you should avoid discussing your personal history with a creature like that. I didn't. There's real counseling by Kira's closest here. And they these are really short, small, dialogue-efficient scenes. But they really do a lot to underscore how tight she's become with people on the station. And they're not just people on her team, like Dax's... True Blue Federation, and they talk about dick stuff together, so they're super tight. <laughs> At some point on FaceTime, Ducat and Cisco agree to like do a little information sharing because, you know, he's saying like, you know, I it's a it's a little bit out of my hands. You know, we'll release this guy if he proves to not be uh, a war criminal, but. That investigation is incomplete, and when you, one way you could help us complete this investigation quicker is if you give us some of the Cardassian records, like give us some limited access to the computer, and we'll take a look. And this leads to Blade Runner photo computer scene <laughs> where they've got a shot of some some stuff going down at Galatep, like in the mine, and it's Bajoran laborers and Cardassian soldiers and they zoom in on the on the Cardassian that is is labeled in the photo as being Eamon Maritza and it's a different dude. Parentheses and, are in the in the subtitle to the photo. <laughs> because he's a Republican? No, I mean like when uh when there are photo attributions and like Oh, because he's on the right-hand yeah. side of the shot? Yeah. <laughs> That's how I meant that. Yeah. And like uh, like Blade Runner. But also, if you're going to run a prison camp, you're probably a Republican. Yeah. Fair, fair <laughs> bet. Um, the, uh, the Like Blade Runner, they have the ability in this in this photo program to like fly the camera around in three-dimensional space. Enhance. 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 Just print the damn thing! They swing the camera around and get a look at the face of the Cardassian who's labeled as Goldar Hill, and it's a dead ringer for the guy they have down in the brig. And uh, in this moment, I feel like Kira is getting exactly what she wants. Like, the guy that they arrested as Marita is the worst possible Cardassian. It's a real Finkel is Einhorn, Einhorn is Finkel moment to Kira. 
<laughs> Remember that at the end? Oh. <laughs> She's my sister and my daughter? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh. And this, like, to whatever degree Kira has a short fuse about this guy, this basically cuts it off completely. She is an explosive with no fuse, and she's ready to go off. Yeah, it's such a weird, complicated emotion, right? It's it's just what she wanted. This guy really did, yeah. was responsible for tons of mass murder and stuff. I think at this point also, Maritza has like made the case that maybe Goldar Hill wasn't a mass murderer. Like There was this, yeah. this accident with this disease, but... He's saying, like, the reputation of being a mass murderer, the fear that arises from that is just as good whether or not it happened. And is saying that Goldar Hill cultivated that reputation while actually just being, like, a really effective leader. Yeah, like, the case he makes is that it wasn't genocide. It was just good marketing, which is really fucking dark. Yeah. And and a a pretty complicated idea that I feel like they kind of forget to dig into. Right. Toward the end. Um spoiler alert, he <laughs> turns out not to be Darheel. But like if 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 he had turned out to be Darheel, but also hadn't done all of the murdering that he had marketed himself as having done, doesn't that make him like not a war criminal? It gets it gets to like the nature of fear, right? Right. The nature of fear during wartime, especially. And psychological operations that you play against your enemy. Yeah. Uh, and he really takes the position that there wasn't even a war. It was an occupation and that... There was no war, no glory. Bajor didn't resist. It surrendered. But the Cardassians left because it was politically unsustainable, not because... They were wrong to have done it in the first place or because they lost for any reason. Mind what are you doing now? Exactly. Goldar Heel really stiffens up and changes his whole he changes his posture. He changes his level of confidence. Like, as soon as he's found out, he, he makes the claim to Kira that... I yearned to tell you, but I knew how much more satisfaction you would have if you found out for yourself, and that was my only deception. Now we can get to you trying me for my crimes and executing me. Like, wouldn't that be great for you? Like, he's, he's really <laughs> relishing what this is doing to Kira. He's gone full Big Lebowski, the bums lost Yeah. Rant. Yeah. And he's saying like my accomplishments my accomplishments speak for themselves. I am I am great at what I do and I, I and I was great at what I did and you're a nobody to me. But it kind of it kind of like in that moment uh, you know in that in watching this and not knowing what was to come, I was wondering like why the fuck would he have been on some dumpy freighter like coming through the station? Like why why route your your travel via Deep Space Nine if this is who you are, you know? That's the reason why you can't really give yourself over to any sort of satisfaction at this point in the story. Yeah, it doesn't quite add up. Yeah. As much of a heel he is, like he's so fun to hate in this moment. I think Odo says that almost verbatim. Something doesn't add up about this. <laughs> Do you think Odo could turn himself into an abacus? <laughs> an abacus with googly eyes? Yeah. <laughs> Allow me to demonstrate. <laughs> he could be data levels of annoying. Like, he just turns his mouth into a pipe mouth, grows the Sherlock Holmes hat. <laughs> it's a good thing he doesn't have any outside interests, because he would really wave those in people's faces. The humanoid obsession with hobbies is something I'll never understand. <laughs> She talks to Odo and he's like, well, this guy is is misleading us on a bunch of counts. And one of those is I just talked to your boy, Gul Dukat, and Gul Dukat claims to have been to Guldar Heel's funeral. He was like one of the great gulls and everybody in Cardassia was mourning his death a few years ago. 
a surprising amount of honor for a guy that is kind of like the Sergeant Schultz of this universe. Yeah, I guess there are no open casket funerals on Cardassia, huh? Like, have you ever heard of anybody that ran a prison camp? Of course. I think everyone has a friend who's run a prison camp. Oh, sure. Yeah, and if they died, it would be a really sad day. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and then Odo, like, looks into this guy's this guy's travel plans, and it turns out he went way out of his way to stop at Deep Space Nine. I don't know why yet, but the man in that cell wanted to be caught. And that sort of breaks the story, you know? Like, it, it it's... A disappointment to Kira. She she's forced to confront the idea that this is not Goldar Hill. Like Goldar Hill was on Cardassia getting his ass kissed by the prime minister or something when the accident happened. He couldn't have ever contracted this disease. Uh, he is not the bad guy that she was hoping and enjoying him to be. It's like anything else. Like to be given a thing that you've wanted and then to have it taken away is so much more painful than to not get the thing at all. And Kira here was was given the ultimate, you know, vengeance gift. And to yeah. see that to see that be untrue is very painful for her. I can't believe I'm listening to this. When I was a kid I got a, a Sega Genesis for uh my birthday one year and it was like a big deal because I had wanted a video game system for ever and i begged my parents for like for years and years and they were like really anti getting me a video game system i was so happy that i got this thing that i took it over to a friend's house and somehow like was like getting picked up at the bus stop or something and left it in a bag on the ground oh no <laughs> and like and and like this thing that i just like built up wanting for my entire childhood and I'm finally like I'm like nine years old and I finally have it I finally have my own video game system and it's fucking gone and it's my fault god that had to be painful so you never yeah. got it back it was it was lost that was it it was gone man gone baby gone oh, we shit. uh we like drove around Berkeley for an hour trying to see if we saw anybody with a bag that looked like the one that I'd lost but no dice did you ever get another yeah, I think like six months later, I saved up enough money to buy a used, a used console. But at that but time, like the... video games had had moved on to PlayStation Three. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. We do no longer carry the Sega Genesis. <laughs> Perhaps I could interest you in a in a computer processor video game system. Yeah. It really hurt, and and I could really like I could really feel the hurt in Kira because while it makes this guy way less bad, it's not what she wanted him to be. Yeah, and so she like heads back down to the brig one last time, and as uh, she says, uh, I I know for a fact that you're not Goldar Hill, and why are you like like you've been you've been sitting here representing yourself to be this horrible man and. Now, after I look at all the evidence, I can see definitively that you're not. This starts a monologue by Harris Yulin that is, I think, one of the high points in the season. Yeah. It's really a story about the guilt of complicity. This guy did not kill people. This guy didn't really even admit to seeing many people killed. But what he was was there, and he could hear it, and he knew what was going on. And he didn't do anything about it. And he's lived with this horrible guilt. And she like she winds up kind of pitying him for that, despite his complicity in a really horrible thing that he's felt felt guilty about for years. The horror of having lived through that and not being strong enough to try to do something to counteract it is something that she really pities in him. And she just like... It's, at a certain point, just reaches up and like taps the button that uh, dissipates the the force field and uh, lets him out. His intention is noble. It does not forgive what he did, but the idea that he wants to be the figure that stands trial as a way for Cardassia to finally be punished for the atrocities 
is noble and good. It doesn't forgive his complicity, but I think he makes the case for it in this way that like there's no undoing what happened, but what you can undo is is the ignorance of what happened. Right. Oh yeah, and one thing we didn't talk about is like that he had plastic surgery to look like Goldar Heel. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of the things that breaks the case is that they found out that he bought a large amount of drugs, drugs that are used by people who have a lot of plastic surgery so that the loaf will take. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's uh You don't want to get that loaf rejection, all, Ben. All all-purpose flour is what he was on. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to wake up and your loaf is on the pillow. <laughs> no, that would be bad. Um Yeah, like I I think his goal was like go Go be Goldar Hill for for all intents and purposes, and stand trial for the crimes of Goldar Hill. Like submit right. himself to the punishment that Darheel deserved, and let Cardassia see what that means. It would have been interesting to see what would have happened if if he hadn't been discovered and had been put to trial. Yeah. The button on the episode is Kira is like walking him down the hallway and I guess he's gonna go go to Bajor because they're like he's pretty much cut himself off from all Cardassian life at this point. Yeah, once you square up with your uh with your maid, there's no going home yeah. after that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like one of the there's... one of the notes about him is that he, he really tipped his housekeeper before he left. Yeah. He's left definitely not planning a, to go home. Left more than a $20 bill on the dresser before he left. Uh, there's this local drunk that has been in the in the holding cells a couple of times who's uh, standing at at a Quark's bar. At the Quark's bar has that like window that you can sidle up to that just is out on the promenade itself. Yeah, it's so, giving you a drink some plastic cups at the window. This is like there needs to be more of this, man. There's a, a coffee shop that has like a little pastry selection that has a window on Sunset Boulevard near my house, and I yeah. walk up to it and get my morning coffee and croissant, uh, and I can take my dog there on on a leash, and uh, it's like the it's the greatest. Yeah, you want a window? That should be a, that should be standard in restaurants. Have a window. Let me get a let me get a styrofoam cup full of margarita. That's what I'm saying. This dude, uh, I guess he he like ordered a pork chop, and <laughs> the uh, wait staff at Corks Bar had come out and put the steak knife down, and uh, he looks turns around. It forked at the end, though, right? I thought it was a cheese knife. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe he ordered the cheese plate. He's finished his <laughs> meal. <laughs> and uh, what kind of an and, asshole do you have to be to get the cheese plate at the window? Like that's suspect behavior automatically. <laughs> There should have been googly eyes on that on that cheese knife. <laughs> I'm keeping my eye on you. He turns around and sinks this knife into Maritza. And uh, Maritza goes down and, and is bleeding out on the promenade. And Kira's like, Why? He wasn't our heel. Why? And he says, He's a Cardassian. That's reason enough. And her response is... It's not. It is not enough. It is not. Oh, hi, Mark. (laughs) It's not enough, Rambo. (laughs) You get uh, the single brass instrument of grief here in the Godshot. And uh, sort of a lot of people, we haven't been keeping track this season, but... I think Kira is the leader in the clubhouse of people dying in her arms. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Great big body count for Kira, not of people that she's killed, but of people that she's witnessed being killed or dying. Right. Yeah. She's uh she's giving this guy the full Kaiopaka grief treatment. Ben, who is season one about? Because if it hasn't been settled before. I think it's settled now. This season one of Deep Space Nine is about Major Kira and like her place on the station. Yeah. The station's place in the quadrant and like what it means to be in a post-Cardassian war universe. 
It's very interesting because I think that in TNG, we are we are the Federation, like the like our our proxy, and and especially in the early episodes, is Wesley. Wesley, the boy, the boy, young Wesley Crusher, my son, and the Federation is our is where we live and in Deep Space Nine I kind of think that they've flipped that around Bajor is where we live and Kira is our proxy right and the Federation is this kind of likable group of people but who are new here that's a really interesting point and that Wesley comparison especially it's a big part of Star Trek is choosing who your proxy is and sometimes the proxy is foisted upon you by the show but the cast of this show is so democratic, like there are so many characters and and few of them really step out to to lead the rest that it's hard to argue against Kira being that person, the, the proxy for the viewer. Did you like the episode? It's hard to choose an episode that's stronger than this one. I mean, it is sober, serious, adult Star Trek happening here. Yeah. That this is sort of the best of what Star Trek does is is tell this kind of story. And it was well acted. And I'm glad there wasn't a lollipop B story because I don't want that in something this serious. This was really good, I thought. Yeah, I agree. How about you? I think it's a, a pretty terrific episode. You want to see if we have any really terrific P1s? I would love to. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental link. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first priority one message is of a commercial nature, and uh, it goes like this. No one can know about this, a podcast where we play every Final Fantasy. Send help. (laughs) You are never going to run out of... Out of material, if that is your podcast yeah. game right there. Seriously. Uh, and uh, in case there was any confusion, No One Can Know About This is the name of the podcast, it looks like. Which, uh, Whoa, what a great name. Yeah, I love that. That really, uh, I feel like that dovetails nicely with our our feeling of slight embarrassment over what we're doing here. Yeah, that's a good brand. Uh, it's a successful brand, Ben. Yeah. They, uh, I've, uh, I've clicked over to this, and uh, it's described as a podcast where we play every Final Fantasy using recordings from actual play sessions mixed with commentary from our future selves, starting with a six-episode season one chronicling a descent into madness while playing the first game. Hosted by Jeff Ekman and Ryan Kasmiski. That they're uh, playing one of the first versions on a Sega Genesis band. Yeah. Oh, it's it's triggering to me, but I'm sure everybody else will enjoy it. <laughs> That's great. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, do we have any others, Adam? Yeah, we've got a personal message here from Siobhan. It is for Matt. And uh, this message has been requested in the angry Frenchman voice. <laughs> Uh, known to us as Vichy French Guy. Happy birthday, favorite husband! <laughs> Here's hoping we are not so far behind in this podcast that it takes us months to get to this message. <laughs> also, per your suggestion, fuck Raz! <laughs> I really prefer your Vichy, your Vichy French Guy to mine, Ben, but I... I Gave it my best. I really like yours because it's like, it's like through the lens of a thing I described to you. It's yeah. Like it would be like if you were doing your best uh, Rodney Dangerfield, but you'd never actually seen Rodney Dangerfield perform. Yeah. You just knew he was like a guy with a Long Island accent who gets no respect. You're a consumer of a ton of French culture in the way that I'm not. <laughs> so, like, I also feel like you're just better equipped to do an accurate interpretation of Vichy French guy whereas I'm just doing an impression of you doing Vichy French guy (laughs) and it's like making a copy of a copy like mine is very blurry generational decay is uh, is a a factor (laughs) yeah 
Uh, if you're interested in having us read a message about your video game podcast or any other message of a commercial or personal nature, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. Uh, they are one of the best ways to help the ongoing production of this program. They are. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! It's one of those episodes, Ben, where uh, my Shimoda was left blank. Maybe I might like to hear yours first, and that might serve to inspire me to select one. Because uh, I really struggled with this. I, I struggled as well, Adam. My Shimoda is a background Shimoda. Um, there's a... Uh, the last scene in the episode where they're walking Maritza down the down the promenade, um, we see in soft focus in the background at that window at Cork's Bar, the guy that will stab him. Uh, mm-hmm. But that guy is there drinking with a buddy who very, you know, like it, it very much in a like notice that I am not part of this way. Uh, takes a big drink from his glass of blue liquid while uh, while the stabbing is going down. <laughs> like, uh, like he never really knows this dude has a knife and is standing there waiting to do some dirt, but is like, not part of this. Glug, 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 glug. Yummy blue liquid. And then uh, that guy is also in the god shot at the end, like, like standing over Maritz's body as the crowd forms. Like, whoa, what just happened? <laughs> Nothing I'm aware of. I feel like a drink makes a great alibi in that moment. Because if you're involved, who could possibly consume a beverage at that moment? Right. Nice job by him. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he really uh, spared himself any uncomfortable questions. And he still has the drink in his hand when he walks over to take a look at Moritz's body. <laughs> so uh, what's going on over here? Yeah. Seems like a kind of a big mess. Shame. <laughs> anyway, can I get it? Anyone anything? Uh, I'm going to go back to the bar. <laughs> My tab's uh, still open, guys. If uh, I, hit it, a- I hit it pretty big at Dabo earlier, so they're, they're letting me have them for free. That's a pretty great Shimoda, Ben. Like a craps player putting his chips on top of someone else's, I think I'll, I'll just go with yours <laughs> as my own. <laughs> Double Shimoda, Ben. Yeah. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com, 
and the code is Skyers. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is the last episode of season one, episode 19, In the Hands of the Prophets, when a Bajoran spiritual leader objects to Keiko's secular teachings, she threatens to destroy the alliance between Bajor and the Federation. Do you want to find out if we're going to be doing some drinking? I may be on this person's side just because I object to Keiko. (laughs) Yeah, let's see how we're going to do this one. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right. Randomly between 1 and 15. Got a 6. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Looks like we are not going to be drinking, Adam. All right. Well, uh, this is the last episode that we're doing before we switch to a a board game like format. Yeah, uh, I I'm I'm really excited about this. I feel like we we're gonna switch to a board game like format. We're gonna need to like have a way for people to check on what the current status of the board is. I'm into that. I think I'm I, I think it's gonna be cool. Uh, yeah, me looking, too. F- looking forward to having it. So many people accuse us of fraudulent game playing, W slash R slash T, the vetoes of <laughs> Greatest Gen, and uh, and how we've gone with the drunk format of Season 1 DS9. Uh, in the interest of total transparency, we're going we're gonna to share everything. Yeah, we're going to put our cards on the table. I, you know, we do take some shit from time to time. No. I think fraud, fraudulent gameplay has... Only ever uh, has only ever been an accusation that's fallen on deaf ears because it's just not a thing. My conscience is clean, man. But if you want to accuse us of being liberal cucks or of being insufficiently liberal, we're wide open for that. So let us know. <laughs> well, uh, uh, so many ways, Ben, to support the show. Uh, yeah, one of the easiest and freest ways is by leaving the show a great review we uh a long time ago sort of gamified the review system in order to uh heighten the visibility of the greatest generation as a podcast that's really uh one of the best ways to get us more viewers and uh, that's an important way to keep the show going uh Financial support is how this show keeps going as a production, and uh, support for the show is done over at MaximumFun.org slash donate. And uh, as ever, we appreciate those. Yeah. If you feel like this show is something that is a good thing in your life on a monthly basis, um, it costs serious time and money to produce it. Um, getting, getting to, like, tens of thousands of listeners has been an amazing journey for us but it also means that our hosting costs are 
crazy bananas and uh, any amount you can contribute on a monthly basis to help cover those costs is greatly appreciated and I think it's at $5 a month and up you get access to all of the bonus content we've ever recorded and there's some really fun stuff in there so there's some stuff in there right now and also some fun stuff ahead I know we've talked a lot about how much more we want to pack that uh, listener support feed with stuff in the coming year so no better time than right now we should thank Adam Ragusea, who's made a ton of great original music for the show. Almost all of the music at this point is Adam Ragusea's work. Um, and uh, Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song, but is the kind of bookend at this point. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that's willing to resort to terrorism. <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.